Anchored is a production of the Classic Learning Test based in Annapolis, Maryland. Reconnecting knowledge and virtue. Visit us at cltexam.com. Hello and welcome back to the CLT offices. We're glad you're here. Today, we're joined by David Arndt. David Arndt is a tutor in the Integral Program at St. Mary's College. If this is your first time listening to us, I'd like to take a little bit of time to explain what Anchored is. This is a podcast where our CEO, Jeremy Tate, engages in conversations with leading thinkers on issues at the intersection of education and culture. We appreciate your feedback, so please rate and review this episode and send any questions or comments to anchored at cltexam.com. Don't forget, our upcoming CLT exam will be held on December 4th. The CLT is an online college entrance exam for 11th and 12th graders. To learn more, visit our website at cltexam.com. Now, without any further ado, let's get on with the conversation. Welcome back to the Anchored Podcast, the official podcast of the Classic Learning Test. Today, we have David Arndt. David is a tutor in the integral program of the liberal arts at St. Mary's College of California. Great to have you here with us, David. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, so let's just jump right into the questions. Uh, we we always start off the podcast by talking about education. Uh, let's start off by talking about your early education. Did you love school growing up? <laughs> I loved school until about seventh or eighth grade, but I, I went to a big public high school, which was about 2,000 students in an ugly brick building uh, that was surrounded on all sides by chain link fence topped with barbed wire. Uh, and the barbed wire faced inward rather than outward. So it was designed not to protect the, the school from outsiders, but to prevent the students and faculty from trying to escape. Wow. The, the one thing I got out of high school was that the question of education became a real question for me mm-hmm. because I had a very strong and very inarticulate sense that I wasn't getting a real education. But I was just a high school student, so I couldn't I couldn't say what exactly was wrong. But it made the, the question of education a problem for me that I've been thinking about ever since. Mm-hmm. So what was your idea of what a good education was supposed to be versus like what you were receiving? I, I, I think the basic problem was that they were trying to fill a bucket, right? Yates says that education isn't filling a bucket, it's lighting a fire. But all our classes focused on textbooks and lectures and exams. And so we were supposed to memorize facts from textbooks and lectures and then regurgitate them on exams. And this just made schooling unbelievably boring for, right. for because it was just totally passive. We had to sit there and take it. It was impersonal, like we didn't get any individual attention. It was isolating because we were all on our own competing against each other. Mm -hmm. And it was just stultifying because the the aim was to learn what other people thought rather than learning to think for ourselves. Right. And and did like your peers recognize that? Did any teachers have any comments on that? Or was that just like your individual experience? Like you were like, I think there's something fundamentally (laughs) wrong here. And the other people are just not picking up on it. That was what was so disorienting is that there were a lot of students who really excelled on the SATs. So my school was considered an excellent school. Mm -hmm. And I just I just had this very strong sense that if this is considered an excellent school, there's just there's something wrong with our notions of excellence. But again, I I couldn't say exactly what it was. Right. Right. I mean, at that point, like you're you're too young to kind of formulate exactly what is wrong. But, you know, like I don't really like sitting here and kind of memorizing (laughs) everything and then just like blurging it out. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. So you you studied both literature and philosophy throughout much of your higher education. What propelled your love for literature and philosophy? Was that something that was advocated for in your early schooling? No, fortunately, my my mother uh, studied philosophy in college. So I was just extremely fortunate and blessed that there were just books of great philosophy and literature sitting on the bookshelves at home. And so eventually I started taking books off her shelf and reading them on her own. Uh, and there was one book that really struck me. Can, can I read a passage from yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, for sure. There was a Roman philosopher named Epictetus who was born into slavery and, and taken to Roman chains and eventually freed himself and became a great philosopher. Mm-hmm. And he wrote a very short book called the, the Handbook. And I remember very clearly reading a particular passage. And Epictetus says, what kind of teacher are you waiting for that you procrastinate working on yourself until he arrives? You're not a child anymore. You're already a full-grown man. If you stay careless and lazy, always making excuses, postponing one day after another, when you'll start to care for yourself, you won't see that you're failing to make progress and you'll go through life being an idiot until the day you die. Wow. And that really spoke to me. That was like somebody who lived 2000 years ago, speaking across the centuries, like directly to me about my situation and about my life. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's actually what, uh, attracted me to classic classical books, classical literature in general is just the wisdom in it is so timeless. Did you, did you find that true for you as well? Like um, reading these old books um, and finding that, you know, you could still relate to them even like thousands and thousands of years later. Yeah, absolutely. The the books were like shafts of light slanting into a dark cave, right? I felt like reading them, the world gradually emerged into into greater and greater clarity and that they spoke to me because they spoke to questions about how to live, right? Like how to deal with anger, what's worth wanting, how to be happy, how to really help other people. Right. And these are questions, questions we all face, right? And that we have to answer these questions with the way we actually live. And the other thing that struck me is that all these books were the source of lots of common ideas, right? That there right. was, if, if I wanted to understand uh, contemporary Christian discourse, the thing to do was to, to go back to the source, right? Mm-hmm. And to actually read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and and that these books were all in conversation with each other, right? right? So that Shakespeare quoted the Gospels and the Gospels were criticized by Nietzsche and Nietzsche was criticized by Mock Shaler. Right. And they all seemed to have a grain of truth. So I couldn't just identify with, with one thinker. I had to, to join the conversation and think for myself. Right. And, and I mean, we, we asked this question to a, a few of our other podcast guests. I mean, we don't really hear about truth and beauty and wisdom outside of this classical realm. Right. I mean, like when I, when I first started working with CLT, it felt like, oh my God, I found my tribe. Like there's people here talking about these, this, this virtue and, and, and wisdom and, and truth and goodness. And you don't hear about that outside of kind of this movement. I mean, how did that impact you reading these books and learning about about these these different concepts. Well, it made me. I I I didn't understand those books on a very high level, but I fell in love with them, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I lived with them. I, I love Marcus Aurelius. I love Nietzsche. I love Kierkegaard, and uh, and so I think it's more important for students to 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 have some sort of connection and to see how books can illuminate their lives instead of just learning about them. I'll put it this way: uh, I felt like I was learning from these books. Right. And what was strange is that when I, then I decided I wanted to study literature in college, but when I got to college, I felt like there was a whole approach to books, which was very different from, from what I had adopted. And, and so the, the books were approached, not as sources of insight, but as objects of knowledge. Like okay. we were supposed to learn about the books rather than learn from them. So okay. the aim wasn't, you know, 
wisdom in the sense of a sense, uh, an understanding of how to live, but just scientific and scholarly knowledge. And all the books were abstracted from this conversation, this living tradition, and put into separate and distinct fields where they were isolated from each other. Right. And then the other thing is I felt like we were, I had this very strong sense we were being trained in certain methods of reading. And being trained in a particular method is not quite the same thing as learning to think for yourself. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, so you you went to study literature at Yale and uh, in graduate school at UC Irvine. I think I'm saying that correct. Right. So that's where you had that experience of, OK, like books are now, you know, a source of knowledge. And, and how did that change your relationship with books in general? Well, I want to be very clear that, that Yale University is actually, despite what everybody says, is actually a very good school. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, UC Irvine in the 90s was just paradise. It was just wonderful to be surrounded by such bright, serious, thoughtful people. But I just if I can give an example, uh, Shakespeare wrote a play called Measure for Measure, which is clearly the title is an allusion to this notion that we should not judge lest we be judged for the measure by which we judge is the measure by which we will be judged. Mm-hmm. The play is clearly about questions of justice and, and mercy and forgiveness. And to approach the, the text as a source of insight is to try to you know, think through those questions in, in dialogue with the text and see what Shakespeare is saying about the, the, the tension between mercy, justice, and forgiveness. But if you go to a big research university um, like Harvard and you take a course on Shakespeare and you read Measure for Measure, what will happen is you'll sit in a lecture course and a professor will stand up and say, well, here's the metadramatical reading and here's the historicist reading and here's the psychoanalytic reading and here's the feminist reading and here's my reading. And um, oh, and by the way, there's also a Christian reading, too. Um, And so there's a sense that you are not really being asked to engage in a dialogue with the text, but simply to learn about the text as an object of knowledge. Right, right. So you wrote an essay on, you know, the crisis of liberal education. So let's just shift to that. And can you speak on how this crisis began and what the consequences of it has been? (laughs) Okay, okay. So you're asking me. Can I boil down 30 years of thinking into, into 30 seconds? <laughs> Essentially, <though>? yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, make, to make a very long story very, very short, I think that today we have a relatively shallow and limited understanding of truth and of goodness and of beauty. And because of that, we have a very narrow and impoverished view of human life. And because of that, we have a kind of narrow and impoverished view of liberal education. So if we we need to retrieve a broader and deeper understanding of liberal education, and to do that, we need a broader and deeper understanding of human existence. And to do that, we need to rethink the common notions that we take for granted today about the nature of beauty and the nature of goodness and the nature of truth. Right. And and as we were talking about before, a lot of these concepts you get through philosophy, you get through these classic literatures. Um, so how did these, I guess, reading this classic literature, reading uh, philosophy help you kind of uh, formulate that, that, you know, understanding of what education is supposed to be like? Right. There, there were four, four thinkers who were really important to me. And the first was Aristotle, right? He's, he's, he talks about liberal education in book eight of, of the politics. Mm-hmm. And if you go back and you, you read Aristotle, what he says is that education is liberal if it disciplines the body and mind and soul of free people to use and practice the virtues. Right. And what are the virtues he's talking about in, in the Nicomachean ethics? He says, there's eight intellectual virtues that we need in order to move towards truth. We need practical know-how, discernment, judgment, deliberation, prudence, intellect, knowledge, and wisdom. We need all these virtues in order to move 
towards truth. And the, the problem is in the research university, we focus on two of these. We focus on scientific and scholarly knowledge, and we focus on skills, practical know-how. Right. But right. This, this is a, a deeply incomplete and narrow education because we, we need all the, the, the Aristotelian virtues to move towards truth. Yeah, of course. Um, and then I guess you're, you're talking about the fact that now in, in the modern world, at least or in modern university, how science has kind of dominated a lot of this literature as well. There's a very methodological way of reading. Mm-hmm. Um, so how has that changed liberal education? What has been left out? Uh, what are what are people missing now that they they were probably getting in the past? And that's kind of hindering them from getting that full enclosure of liberal education as well. Right. So just to boil it down in a nutshell, what's being left out is the connection between truth and the virtues. Right. Right. This helped me understand why the concept of excellence in my high school was such a debased concept of excellence, because the word excellence is the standard translation for Aristotle's notion of arete, right, which is just a habit or disposition of mind that's conducive to to a good life. In my high school, excellence just meant outperforming others in a series of standardized tasks. Right. right? So an excellent, you know, if lots of school students excel on the SAT, it's an excellent school. And I think it's a deeper understanding of excellence to understand excellence in terms of the virtues. Mm-hmm. An excellent school is one that develops in students the virtues conducive to the search for truth. Yeah. Um, I mean, we we get a lot of uh, I guess uh, guest speakers who are professors at universities who uh, you know teach at Catholic schools or who teach at Christian schools and I essentially I believe that that faith has been kind of stripped out of education as well right uh, can you can you speak on that a little bit yeah I think that that after Aristotle I think Christian thinkers added a new layer. Uh, uh, to our understanding of liberal education. And they saw that the the virtues of the mind are not enough to move towards truth, right? Mm -hmm. That this comes out of Augustine and Aquinas and and Dante, that we can be blinded by plot pride, right? Right. We can be blinded by envy, blinded by anger, blinded by sloth, greed, gluttony, and lust. So to move towards truth, we need uh, not just the virtues of the mind, but the virtues of the spirit, right? Right. We We need humility, we need patience, we need diligence, we need kindness, and we need charity. And I think actually uh, the the think the Christian thinker who showed this most clearly was Jane Austen, mm-hmm. because all her novels are novels are concerned with the question of judgment, how we can see people for who they are. And she shows very clearly and very precisely that to see people for who they are, we need humility, patience, diligence, kindness, charity, uh, and that we can't see ourselves or can't see other people if we're blinded by pride and prejudice. Right. And, and what do you think has been like the, the, the consequence of, of stripping, I guess, universities and, and other institutions as well, this spiritual conviction, you know, like this, uh, this idea that um, we're not just formulated, like we're not just humans, we're also, we have a soul. I think you don't really hear that often anymore that, you know, the spirit is within us. We don't talk about that. Yeah. What do you think has been the consequence of kind of forgetting that, Um yeah, I think that, that students just naturally have a desire to understand because we naturally have a desire to live a good life, right? We we want to see the world clearly. We want to see others clearly. We want to see ourselves clearly. Um, but that education, if education is reduced to learning scientific and scholarly knowledge and reduced to learning uh, skills, practical skills, uh, 
education becomes really boring and kind of rote and disconnected from, from the lives of other right. people. So there's a, there's a third thinker who really influenced my thinking on liberal education, which is the German philosopher, Martin Heidegger. Mm-hmm. And he said, I've been speaking about the movement towards truth, but I think Heidegger says that movement is complex because it's actually three movements uh, together. Mm-hmm. First, there's a movement from ignorance to knowledge, right? We, we go into the classroom and we learn things that we didn't learn before. But if we're talking about questions like what is justice, what is democracy, what is love, what is education, it's not like we are completely ignorant of these questions. We have some understanding of them, but our understanding of these essential questions is, say, an average understanding. It's relatively shallow, confused, vague, simplistic, and crude. Mm -hmm. And Heidegger says the second movement we need to make in education is moving towards a more genuine understanding, that is, an understanding that's relatively... uh, relatively deep, clear, precise, complex, and refined. But the question is, how do we make that second movement? And Heidegger says there's a third movement we have to make, which is initially and for the most part in our lives, we have an understanding that's that's not really authentic in the sense it's not really our own, right? If I have certain political opinions, but I have them because I've heard them around the dinner table or absorbed them from my friends without really thinking, I have opinions, but they're not really my own opinions, right? Or if I've if I've gone to a church every Sunday since I was born and heard a certain interpretation of Christianity from in church, and that's become my interpretation, but I never actually bothered to open up the gospels and read them for myself, we would say, you have a certain understanding of Christianity, but it's not, it's an authentic, it's, it's not an authentic understanding, right. right? Because it's not something you worked out. So Heidegger says, the, the, the third movement we have to make is from an inauthentic understanding towards a more authentic understanding. And we make that movement by taking on ourselves the responsibility for education, by reflecting on our own experience, doing our own reading, engaging in our own conversations and working out our own thoughts in our writing. Wow. Yeah. So on the, on the topic of, I guess, college and universities, uh, we can, we will talk about how you teach at St. Mary's College of California in the integral program of liberal arts. Uh, what is that like? How do you guys try to give, you know, students a truly liberal education? Yeah, the integral program is just the greatest, the greatest program. I'm so blessed and so happy to, uh, to find myself uh, teaching there. It's different from a major or an academic department because Departments aim to train students as specialists in one field of knowledge, whereas the integral program aims to try to help students learn to think for themselves in all the liberal arts. So not just thinking, being trained to think in one method, but to learn how to think mathematically and learn to think philosophically and learn to think historically and learn to think in in literary terms. Mm -hmm. So I I think it's kind of cliche to say, well, liberal education doesn't tell students what to think, it teaches them how to think. But if you're only taught one specific uh, path of thought, right, that can be just as limiting as an education that aims at indoctrination. So I think the basic idea is that we don't learn to think for ourselves by reading textbooks and listening to lectures and taking exams. We learn to think for ourselves by thinking through questions we care about Mm -hmm. in dialogue with each other and in dialogue with the greatest works of of the Western and non-Western traditions. Right. So, so go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so you're talking about this, you know, having this dialogue and how how you actually learn to think for yourself. So how does a class in the integral program look, you know, different from most classes in college and universities? How do you guys implement that? Right. So there's no it's, it's the opposite of what I went through in high school. Right. There's no textbooks. There's no lectures. There's no exams. Instead, oh. The students read and discuss original works of great thinkers. So that means students learn philosophy from Plato and geometry from Euclid and Taoism from Lao Tzu, literature from Jane Austen, rhetoric from Frederick Douglass, the theory of natural selection from Darwin. 
And it's just great because it's not passive, it's active. Like all the courses are based on discussion and dialogue. And it's not impersonal, it's personal, right? Students get individual attention. So the faculty in the integral program call themselves tutors because our job is not to give lectures, but to help individual students oh. learn. It's collaborative, right? We're not pitted against each other as individuals all competing to outperform each other. Right. It's all based on discussion and dialogue so that uh, students learn together in, in a supportive community. And then it's just liberating because we, we push students to think for themselves, right? We, right? we push them to try to formulate their own questions and pursue their own interests. Wow. Uh, so, so the curriculum in the program aims to integrate all the liberal arts. That's, I think, like the kind of the, the catchphrase there. And, and how does it how does it do that? So there it's a it's a standard four year curriculum and all the courses are designed to, to fit together and illuminate each other. So students take eight semesters of seminar where they read great books of politics, philosophy, economics, literature, theology, mm-hmm. um, political science, etc. Eight semesters of language tutorials where they work on grammar, rhetoric, and logic, eight semesters of mathematics, uh, which is very intense uh, mathematics, Mm -hmm. four semesters of labs where they study uh, physics, astronomy, and biology, and then also a semester of music because we feel like art is an important part of human life. And students, we, we ask students to think about the nature of art by reflecting on the experience of actually making and producing music. Wow. Uh, so what stage uh, in your education do you have to be uh, to sign up for the integral program? Like, is that just a four year thing or or how, how, how can students kind of learn more about this or parents even if they want to learn more about it? Right. So uh, the, the way to learn about it is to go to uh, our website, which is type in integral program of liberal arts at St. Mary's College of California. And um, there's there's a website. Uh, the thing is that. Um, because it's a four-year program, it's best to start out first semester or second semester of freshman year. Okay. Uh, so if if you're if students are curious about the integral program, well, number one, the first thing you should do is come come to our webinar or come to actually come to visit campus and just sit in on a class because then they'll see how our classes are different from most college classes. Right. Uh, the important thing though is that. St. Mary's is uh, the integral program is located in St. Mary's College, which is a ordinary, a very good university in California. So if students start with the integral program and then decide uh, they want to do something else, it's very easy to transfer out. And they've already fulfilled a lot of the distribution requirements they need. But the important thing is if they're interested, they should think about showing up, enrolling in the integral program first semester of freshman year. Okay. Okay. And then, so we've had like a few professors on here on the podcast before that, that are actually part of the great books program. Can you talk about how the integral program is different from the great books program? Yeah, I think, well, we're similar in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. right? We're, we, we want students to think for themselves. We're trying to make a classical education as affordable as possible. Mm-hmm. So 90, more than 90% of students at St. Mary's get financial aid and the integral program itself gives um, uh, aid to, to its students. We, we have very generous uh, alumni who uh-huh. support our students. Uh, but I think we're different in, in a couple of ways. We're part of a Catholic college. Okay. So we have a sense that education has an ethical and spiritual dimension. Uh, it can't, education can't be ethically neutral. This is you know, what I was just saying. Not only do we have to cultivate the virtues of the mind, that is prudence and, and judgment and discernment and wisdom, but we also have to develop the, the, the virtues of the spirit that is humility, patience, diligence, kindness, 
charity. So I think we are not, we have uh, students who are Catholic and very serious, and we have students who are not Catholic at all, and they all uh, get along. Wow. But um, we we do have a we we we're situated within the Catholic intellectual tradition. I'll put right. it that way. Yeah, that that's really great to hear. So, uh, you know, hitting the the final question here, uh, you already talked about a book and you you read a passage. But is there is there another book that has like impacted you the most um, uh, in in your life, or or a book that you like to teach the most to your students? I would just say that um, the 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 books that have really or the thinkers who've made really an impact on me are the ones we just, we just went over. So Aristotle on liberal education, he talks about that in, in book eight of the politics and book six of the Nicomachean ethics. He talks about the virtues. Um, Jane Austen, I just, Emma, it's just such a great book because yeah. it's all about <laughs> judgment and trying, trying to understand what it takes to understand other people clearly right, and what right. it takes to understand ourselves clearly and how, um, our judgment tends to be skewed, right, by defects in our character. We'll put right. it that way. So she she very much connects uh, the virtues with the search for truth. And then Heidegger, who is a German existentialist thinker, was just probably the most influential on me. Um, and his big book, Being in Time, is, is a very, very difficult book. But he wrote a, an essay called Plato's Doctrine of Truth, which is a very close reading of Plato's Allegory of the Cave. So right. he, he read Plato in Greek, and he reads Plato very, very carefully and very, very well. Plato by himself was great. You know, when I <laughs> yeah. Plato, it, it, it gave me a model. But Plato and Heidegger together, that, that dialogue between the past and the present was really... <laughs> It was the fog lifting. It was emerging from the cave. It was right. an experience of illumination. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, yes, there's, there's, there's one more. A, a, a thinker I've been reading recently is Archbishop Desmond Tutu, right. who's a South African thinker. He was the uh, chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission hmm. in uh, South Africa. And he wrote a book called No Future Without Forgiveness. Um, right. And he says, uh, in order for South Africa to move towards truth and reconciliation, we need virtues that don't really have a, a, a clear translation in, in Western languages. And he singles that too. He says, Ubuntu, which is a Bantu word meaning humanity or a sense that my humanity depends on the humanity of those around me. Mm -hmm. So that my particular good is always intricated within questions of the common good. Wow. And then he also says the, the, the Aristotelian concept of justice as distributive justice or retributive justice um, limits our thinking about justice. And so the, he proposes a notion of restorative justice. He says, restorative justice helped help South Africa move towards truth in a way that a Western concept of justice might not have. So well, I think this is, it's a good example of how texts from outside the Western tradition can be integrated into a great books course. And we read those texts, not because we just want to learn a little bit about other cultures, but because we're actually listening to them and what we're right. trying to learn from them. Yeah, I, I think that's a, that's one of the concerns that's always brought up uh, with classical classical literature or anything involving classical education that the the, the um, you know diversification of the of the I guess the list of books that you read maybe is too is not enough. Um, so definitely, yeah, I I, I love that. Um, can you say that link again for anybody interested in the integral program at uh, Saint Mary's College? Yes, it's just go go to Google and type in Saint Mary's College of California integral program of liberal arts. 
and you will get uh, the website that explains the whole uh, curriculum and the whole philosophy behind our um, program. Our program has been around since 1956. So we've been doing this for for 65 years. So it's it's not an experimental program, right? It's a program that has a a history and uh, we know what we're doing. Right. (laughs) Sounds good. Okay. Well, it's it's been great having you here, David. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thanks so much. I really appreciate you uh, inviting me for the conversation. Of course. Anytime. Thanks for listening to this episode of Anchored. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time.